Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein's tax policy group chair Russ Sullivan moderates the first in an ongoing tax series. Harold Hancock, Rosemary Becky, Lori Haru, Charlie Iovino, and Rada Mohan cover everything from John McCain's tax legacy and Tax Reform 2.0 to the Treasury Department's flurry of regulatory activity and what we can expect from Congress during the lame duck session this fall. With so much happening in the world of tax and so much more to come, it has been anything but a sleepy legislative and regulatory session. Welcome to the McBrownstein Group, a new podcast honoring John McLaughlin and his show, The McLaughlin Group, from decades ago. But this podcast will focus on current issues in the tax field. I'm Russ Sullivan, and I've assembled a panel of experts I'd like to introduce you to now. First, we have Lori Haru, former chief of staff to Chairman Kevin Brady on the Ways and Means Committee. Next, we have, from the right, also... Harold Hancock, who served three chairmen of the Ways and Means Committee, Dave Camp, Paul Ryan, and Kevin Brady. From the left, we have Rada Mohan with a career at Bloomberg before she moved into the law field. On her right, the Main Street Republican groupie, Charlie Iovino, welcome. And also from the sort of right, Rosemary Becky, who helped invent Roth IRAs when she worked for Chairman Roth of the Finance Committee. Welcome, panelists. Let's get right to it. Uh, The nation's capital recently honored Senator John McCain for his life of service to our nation. These memorials and tributes, however, missed one important aspect. What was John McCain's most significant tax legislative act? Was it A, Opposing the bipartisan Bush tax cuts in 2001, handing the pen of those tax cuts to progressive Republican Olympia Snow. B, supporting the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, making it viable to pass and be signed into law in the Senate. Or C, voting against the GOP's repeal and replace Obamacare just this past uh, year. Or D, something else. I ask you, Charlie Iovino. It was, without a doubt, the repeal and replace vote against, thumbs down, that is the most significant act he has done. Why? Because he will always be remembered, having had the conversation with Vice President Pence, striding across the floor and putting thumbs down. Well, but the question is, is it the most significant? Well, it certainly got the most play, certainly got the most media coverage. Russ, I think millions of Americans are going to tell you that is the most significant thing that he has done because that saved their health care coverage. So I would say hands down most significant for lay people. But it's also most significant in that it left in place a lot of tax increases on Americans as well. What do you mean? Well, so it left in place the Cadillac tax. Oh. It left in place, you know, the uh, some other provisions that, that the Cadillac we were tax trying. has been delayed indefinitely for a fairly long period of time. But as it's still the in the code. It's and still in the code. That goes to the point of whether the health care bill was really a tax bill or not. You're assuming it is, and you're right. <laughs> but uh, let's let's get out, Harold. You agree, disagree? Is everybody for the repeal and replace Obamacare vote? Yes, I agree because it also um, prevented the Republicans from uh, repealing one of their most sig- one of their signature items 
from their agenda. Okay, good. Let's move on. Tax Reform 2.0. Earlier this year, President Donald J. Trump and House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Kevin Brady spontaneously combusted a plan to do another big tax cut, which has come to be known as Tax Reform 2.0. Since then, Brady floated the inclusion of a broad range of provisions. Besides eliminating the 2025 sunset of the individual tax provisions, what is the most likely provision to be included in Tax Reform 2.0? I ask you, Rosemary Becky. So I think we go off the script here, and I think we put in indexing for capital gains. indexing for capital gains. Doesn't that cost like a trillion dollars a year? But this bill is going nowhere. And so I think we'll see provisions in there that may cost a lot of money, but will help um, members when they go home and talk to their constituents. What's the economic argument for indexing capital gains? I ask you, Harold Hancock. It's pretty simple, Russ. Most of what you're paying in capital gains is inflation. If you index it for inflation, it is the proper economic answer. But does that mean we have to index every provision in the tax code? Aren't a lot of provisions already indexed? Oh, you're right. You're right. So, some of them are. What uh, What else might be in the Reform 2.0 that's new? Um, what about RESA, the Retirement Savings Enhancement Act? That might be in there. We might see a straight extension of all of the uh, individual provisions. They've talked a lot about innovation for startups, um, maybe some stuff on the education front. What else? I think they will almost certainly extend the current net interest and limitation rules so it doesn't flip from a bit to, to a bit. Okay. Anything else? Also, I'm going to disagree a little bit with Rosemary and say that I don't. I think they're a little bit wary of turning this into a Christmas tree provision where they put lots of member priorities on it only because it's already going to cost $600 billion to do a straight extension of uh, – of the individual I, this is an election year. You cannot forget that this is an election year and that this bill will likely go nowhere in the Senate. So if you're going to do a 2.0, you better go big. Okay, the right answer is the retirement bill. That's the thing that's most likely to be on there. Okay, let's follow up. This week, an increasing number of House Republicans have gotten skittish about this whole tax reform 2.0 plan. So skittish that there are some staffers hinting anonymously that the committee might actually actually not do the markup, or the House might not consider the bill on the floor. Why is this? I ask you, Rada Mohan. All right. So I think as of two months ago, Republicans thought doing 2.0 would be a really great idea. With elections looming, I think some of them are reconsidering, and I'll give you three reasons why. The first is the salt cap. Um, For Republicans from high-tax blue states, this is going to make them take another difficult vote to maybe uh, to maybe extend a very unpopular provision. Now, whether this actually raises taxes for the middle class has been debated ad nauseum. Give us the other two. That's one. What's All the right. other two? Uh, $600 billion price tag just to extend the uh, individual provisions and then going beyond that messaging. I think um, approval ratings for Tax Reform 2.0 have hovered anywhere between the high 30s and the low 40s. That's what the recent polls say still. So... I don't know that this is going to be really popular. When is she they right? Go home. No. Why not? Because most people, most Republicans believe that even if there's a cost to this, whether it was $1.2 trillion on um, tax reform or the $600 billion in 2.0, that is not the government's money. That is the American taxpayer's money. And therefore, 
it is we have every right to give that money back to them. And um, it doesn't matter what staff ever say. The truth <laughs> of the matter is it doesn't matter what congressional staff say. It is what the members will say when they come back in September. All right. Now, let's get out. On a scale of zero to ten, with zero representing zero probability and ten representing metaphysical certitude, how likely is it that the Ways and Means Committee marks up tax reform 2.0 prior to its adjournment for the elections in October? Charlie. I give it a seven because they have to go home and have shown that they're working on something. Lori. Ten. Harold. Eighty. Eighty percent likelihood. That's not on the scale of zero to ten, Harold. I converted it to percentage. Okay. Harold's trying to get to eight. Uh, Two. Two. I think they mark it up at an eight, but I'm going to say that there's no floor vote. The correct answer is four. Next topic. (laughs) Regulations. Congress may not be working hard this August, but the green eye shades at the Treasury Department Office of Tax Policy now have raccoon circles around their eyes. They've been working so hard promulgating these regulations. We have repatriation tax proposed regs. 199A proposed regs, anti-salt workaround regs, UBIT regs. Treasury is popping out regulations faster than Orville Redenbacher in a microwave. What is going on down there? Who's cracking the whip? Why? And where is this headed? I ask you, Harold Hancock. Short, simple answer. Big tax bill. Need a lot of guidance. There's a lot of open questions. They need to get answers to people. Longer answer is they want to get everything final by June of 2019. Treasury have said this multiple times. Work backwards from that. You need to get proposed regs out now as soon as possible to get feedback to make sure that everything is working properly. So you're just saying they're just doing their job? Correct. They're doing their job. They have to do this. That's right. They're good public servants. But what is their agenda? What are their directions? What are people from the White House telling them? They're all tight-lipped, not telling us exactly what's going on. Are they trying to write the regs to in, to create jobs, to increase economic growth? Are they trying to pr- protect the fisc? and make sure there are some corporate tax revenues coming into the Treasury Department. Charlie. I say that they are not being overly aggressive, and they are trying. You can see from some of the regs, like the SALT regs, that that they want to keep those revenues in. But when you look at the pass-through business, they're sort of a little on this side, a little on that side with respect to sticking with the rule limitations that are there for those businesses. But they are also limiting exactly how they're going to use the reputation or skill disqualifier. So on the regulation side, I would say they're discovering that places where they wanted to have more flexibility to fix in the regs, it might not be there, and they may need to think about a technical correction. Agree or disagree? Strongly agree. Strongly agree. Strongly agree. Strongly agree. Okay. Seems like everybody's in agreement. They're doing their job. Uh, Let's move on. Legislative gridlock. There's a point that comes in every Congress where they basically put their vehicle in neutral or park and decide we're just not going to pass anything new. We may finish the conference reports we're working on now, but we're not going to do anything. Here we are in September, and uh, I think we've sort of reached that point in in the House and the Senate. Do you agree? And if so, when did we reach that point? Lori, how are you? Yes, it's over. Let's move on. Uh, if they're really through, it's time to time to go hunting. And now we're going to talk about duck hunting. We all know that the productiveness of a short legislative session that happens between the November elections and the swearing of the new Congress depends almost wholly on the outcome of the elections and how the policymakers perceive the Americans' people's choices in that election. Nevertheless, 
our listeners here want to know what is going to happen. So we have this lame duck session of members who are not going to be there in another couple of months who can vote like they want to and or show up and not show up if they don't want to. Describe um, what we want to do is describe one scenario of what kind of duck are we looking at for November and December of 2018. I ask you, Rosemary Becky. I'm going to call it the Trojan duck. I think it's going to look like nothing's going to happen, but I think a lot will happen during that lame duck session. Mm, good. I'm going to agree with Rosemary on that one and say that I actually think uh, we'll have to duck, literally, because you're going to have a fight set up between Democrats and Republicans. Now, everybody wants to get tax extenders done, right? But Republicans, I think, are going to demand a technical corrections bill and hold extenders hostage, which they can do, especially because a lot of the big ones aren't even going to expire this year, new market tax credit. Who's going to hold the duck hostage or who's going to make us duck with the, the hostages? Is the that going to be the, the Republicans? Oh, yeah, unless they get their tax corrections bill on issues like QIP and, and things. of What is QIP? Uh, qualified Improvement, Improvement Property. Improvement Property, yes. exactly. The retail No glitch. Washington ag- and acronyms or retail whatever you call glitch. those. I think uh, everybody knows it as that. Good. Charlie, what kind of what kind of duck are we looking at? I think if we have a blue wave, we have the blue bill duck with the new members wanting to come in. Did you just make up a new species of duck? There is is a blue. There is a blue billed duck. So I think there's going to be an effort to get things moving, get them done before the end of the year so that it is not on the Democrats plate next year if there is a blue wave. Okay, Lori, how are you? I believe that, um, yes, obviously there will be a lame duck, but any extenders that are done, the House that does not like extenders will extract a lot of um, end dates. They will require the Senate to accept that um, the extensions have an end date that they wind down, and that will be one of the things they extract out of them. So it'll be like a phase-out duck? Yes. Okay, good. Harold, what kind of duck are we talking about? If the Democrats take over the House, we got no duck. It's going to all be about Donald. Donald Duck. Donald Duck takes over. No tax duck, just Donald. Okay. If the Republicans are still in charge, they will try to get something done. I'm not sure they can, but they will try because they're going to have to deal with the Senate Democrats. Okay. We'll get out your duck sauce because it's coming soon. All right. Let's move to the campaign trail where a lot is happening uh, as members uh, try to retain their seats. Republicans had hoped that the impact of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017 would drive voters into their party to order the Republicans in the general election. The economy certainly has grown, but yet we've not seen a lot of debate about tax policy on the campaign trail. Very few Democratic challengers using the tax issue. Very few Republicans centering their campaign on the Tax Cut Act. Why is that? Have there been any new innovative policies out there proposed by the candidates? Why don't we have more discussion about tax on the campaign trail? I ask you, Rosemary Becky. I think it's because the tax of the tax um, the tax reform act has not taken effect yet, and I think that there's not a true understanding of really what it means. And so I think there's not a we were just talking about this. There's not a whole lot of discussion about it because people really don't fully understand the impact of it. But isn't that a politician's job if you pass the legislation to go out and explain it to people? 
help them understand what Congress did and how it affects their pocketbook? And I I think that is happening. That is happening over August. Members are having their town halls, their teletown halls. They're having their individual meetings. They are hearing back what what has been helpful in tax reform, and they are also explaining to their constituents who may not know about it yet. Um, These are all things that we probably won't won't really um, understand until the election. So you're you're saying that people are now in September, uh, the September session is going to be different because they will have convinced their constituents they'll know what the tax bill d- did for them. No, I don't think in this election they will necessarily have convinced them, but the economy is doing well, and that is what members are, that's what uh, voters will act on in November. I agree with that 110%. That's what they will act on. Right. You don't talk tax on the campaign trail. You talk money, cash in your pocket, economic growth. That's how it gets translated. Look at your 401k. Both both Republicans and Democrats are very much talking about those issues. They're just not calling it tax, but that's what they mean. I mean, the minute you start talking taxes, that's also part of the problem, right? If you try to tell people, hey, your standard deduction went up, they're going to fall asleep. So you really do have to show them the impact on their wallets in order to get any kind of reaction. Well, Rada, Rada the, the Democrats said during the debate on the tax bill that this is going to wreck the economy because interest rates are going to go up and we're spending money we don't have. And yet here we are at 3 percent growth. So what are the Democrats saying? I think the Democrats are trying to point to the fact that for a lot of people, this the the effects of the tax bill won't actually be felt for a few years down the line, and that the negative effects won't be felt for decades, especially given the uh, hefty price tag that uh, that the TCJA. I think you're wrong. I think the Democrats are not talking about it at all and trying to talk about issues. Like, you know, dreamers and other things. And Medicare for all. And health care costs. And And I think they're hoping that voters aren't focused on their pocketbook, because when you focus on your pocketbook, it's pretty full these days, and people are feeling pretty good about the economy. I mean, they've they've tried to attack it as, you know, not doing enough for the middle class and and all of those other arguments that we've heard. But I'm going to go ahead and agree with with all the Republicans around the table and say that time. Democrats need to message better. Let's here. Howard, get us out. Get us out. I was just going to point out the thing that Democrats are talking about are their idiotic lawsuits to try to eliminate the salt cap. That's not going to go anywhere. Oh, you're right on that. Okay. We're going to finish each podcast with predictions, where each panelist makes a prediction to tax policy. They must be specific enough to be verifiable weeks or months down the road. So you can't say, because Orrin Hatch is retiring, there will be a new chairman of the Senate Finance Committee next Congress. You have to say something specific. So let's start. Who's first? Harold. Treasury by regulation will allow the indexing of capital gains. Charlie Ivino. I think we're going to find a, a combination of the right and the left based on the Manafort trial so that IRS will get funding to do more audits. Wow, that's bold and wrong. Lori, how are you? I believe Republicans will keep the House, they will keep the Senate, and you will see a pattern of regular tax bills begin next year. I'm Yay! crying a little <laughs> as I say this, but I agree with Lori, which I think leaves um, Chuck Grassley as the new chairman of uh, of uh, the Senate Finance Committee. Rosemary. 
I I tend to agree with Lori and, and Harold. Um, you know, I, I think that we are hopefully going to see a lot more happening on the tax front in the coming years. Um, I think the regulations that are coming out of Treasury are thoughtful, and I think they're going to continue to be very thoughtful. And I'm hoping that we keep the House and the Senate and we continue to um, have a lot more tax bills. Well, you can hope. But Richie Neal will be the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee in 2019, and we, you're right, we'll have a lot more uh, action. God, uh, I hope I'm not sure right, it'll be yes. bi- bipartisan or not. Thank you very much, for your panelists. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.